0: Turn to the person next to you, tell them Jesus loves you, so do I. God has told us that hereby shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And if you see someone sitting by themselves, why don't you be the person to go over and tell them, Jesus loves you and so do I. Last week, we looked at the beginning of sin in heaven and the continuation of of sin in mankind and all the way down to the return of Jesus Christ. It was just an overview. And the real issue of sin had to do with trust and faith, do you trust God? Do you have faith that when God makes a promise, He will fulfill His promise? So, sin in this world started because of a lack of trust in God, a lack of faith in His Word. Sin in heaven started because of the same. Lack of trust and faith. So we're moving on to a second part. And we're talking today about a problem that God has. I think that if that problem had been given to you and I, we probably would have messed it up. But God has the advantage of standing back so far from any problem that he can see from the beginning all the way to the end. He can see that if if this happens, that's going to happen. Cause and effect. He can see that. And because he can see that, when he makes a decision, he makes the right decision. And that is the blessing of our God. That the decisions that he makes for you and I, day by day and moment by moment, are to be a blessing to you and I. Now, you and I won't pick the trouble that God gives us. But the trouble is the thing that helps us to understand how much he loves us. And in the book of Revelation, it says, as many as I love, what do I do? I rebuke and I chasten them. What a funny way to show you love somebody. But it does demonstrate God's love in a tremendous way because we're in a world of sin. So in the Bible, in the book of John, we find a Bible text. This Bible text has universal understanding. As soon as you say 316, you don't even have to say John. Everyone knows 3.16. Unfortunately, most of us don't read the whole verse. The whole verse actually starts in John 3.14, and it goes to John 3.17. And we pick out the part that appeals the best to you and I. But we need to look at the whole verse. The verse starts out in verse 14, it says, For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What a different picture of God as you put the whole verse together from 14 to 17. And what a blessing it becomes as you share it with others when you share the whole verse. And help them to understand... That just as instantly as people were cured by a look at the cross with the serpent on it, they were cured of a deadly in minutes snake bite by the thousands. How long does it take Jesus to cure you? A man stepped out of a boat and stepped into the water. And when he got to thinking how good he was to be able to walk on water, he started sinking. And when he started sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me! And it says, instantly, Jesus was there, and instantly, they were back at the boat again. Jesus doesn't save you halfway. He meets you right where you are. He saves you, and he takes you all the way to where you need to be, a safe landing place. God has a problem. You are part of God's solution. Does that make you feel good or bad? How does it make you feel? You are part of the solution to the problem that God has. You see, the problem is bigger than this world. When you look at John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, you and I get a very condensed look, thinking that we are the world. But if you go back to the original language, It doesn't say, for God so loved the world. It says, for God so loved the cosmos. And what is the cosmos? All of the universe. For God so loved the whole universe. Well, I thought we were the only sinners. Right here. All packed into Parkwood. God... So loved the whole universe that he gave his son to save whom? The whole universe. And you are part of the solution so that God can save the whole universe, not just this world. You have an important part in God saving the universe. Here's the problem. How to destroy Satan and sin. Okay, now we have all these men in the room here, and it's the job of men to do what? (laughs) Fix it. So there's the problem, men. How are we going to fix it? God wants to destroy Satan and sin. And he wants to make his universe secure for how long? Forever from sin. So how are we going to do this? Here's option number one. Just destroy Satan. As soon as as he knew what Satan was up to, just destroy him. What would be the result of that? Fear. Fear. All the angel hosts, all the unfallen beings of other worlds, even Adam and Eve, when they hear the story, would all be afraid of God. How would God respond to fear? The Bible says God is love. And over in in the, the little three letters of John, near Revelation, John makes a comment, and he says, perfect love cast out what? Fear. All fear. So God, in, being love and fear being the result, he would not be able to handle that. So we have to look at <clears throat> He could destroy all the angels outright, then there would be nobody to be afraid. Would that work? It could destroy all of creation in a moment. Speak it out of existence. Start all over again. Are any of those viable options? Result? Who would know? God just destroys everything and he starts up again. Who would know there would ever been a Satan, there would ever been anything? Who would know? He would know. God would know. And God is love. And love could not do that. It would be beyond love's ability. Matter of fact, when God finally destroys those who will not accept Him and His Savior, when He finally destroys Him, the Bible calls it His strange act his mysterious act it's totally out of the realm of love and yet it is not it is the greatest act of love that god could do to destroy satan and sin and sinners because they could not live in the presence of a holy god so option number 2 how about we just ask god change the law How about that option? What would be the result? No security for anybody. Not just this world, not just the angels, not just the other world. No security for anybody. How many would vote for no security? ADT would really be upset. So, God has the answer The solution, and it is a sacrifice of love. And so we're going to take a look at that. God's substitution. So the substitution is a substitution of what? Let's read it together. God's solution is the substitution of God to pay the penalty for sin and his entire creation. How many of you vote for that plan? The greatest possible demonstration of God's love for his creation is what? The cross of Calvary. No greater demonstration of the love of God can be seen anywhere in the universe except at the cross of Christ. So we're going to take a look and see what we can do in this. Did Jesus pay it all? All to him we owe. Sin had done what? Did it make a crimson stain? But he did what? Washed it. All away. So we're going to take a look. We're going to look at God's solution. The lies of Satan, never before seen or conceived of, have tremendous power to deceive and create sympathy for the rebellion of sin. How do you know that's true? How do you know that his lies are so powerful, his, his powers of deception so tremendous, that even perfect angels living in the presence of God are deceived? How many of... I know there's a lot of angels here. You can't see them. Just, just so you know. But how many of you feel that, that you would be a match? A match for the deceptions of Satan for his lies. All of us have bought on onto it. Every one of us have bought into his lies. Satan exultantly pointed to his sympathizers comprising nearly one half of all angels and exclaim to God, all these are with me. How does that look to God? It's got a problem on his hands, doesn't it? Satan grew bold in his rebellion and expressed his contempt of the creator's law. To abolish law was the one great object of Satan. How many of you would like to live without law in this country? How many of you like to live without law in your family? If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. (laughs) Satan grew bold in his rebellion and expressed his contempt for the Creator's law. To abolish the law was the one great object. So what does he want to do in you and I? He wants to destroy our response to the law of God. How many of you here are keeping the law of God? How many saints do we have in the building? How many think that a saint is someone that's perfect? How many think that a saint is someone who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice for them? Now you got that part right. So, the room is full of saints. You're all here worshiping on the Lord's Day. The whole room is full of saints. And every one of you is perfect in Jesus Christ. Every one of you. You may not look at yourself and think, I'm perfect, but you are perfect in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't see you as a moment, Jesus sees you as a lifetime. Jesus sees you as an eternity. Jesus sees you going from where you started to all the way to the end. And it says in the scriptures, he is satisfied. When he thinks about the price he paid for each one of you. He is satisfied. So your your self-worth is how much? We talk about poor self-worth. You look at Jesus Christ, whom all the unfallen beings worship. You look at all the angels worship. God says, let all creation worship him. That's your value. That's the price that was paid for you. How can you have low self-esteem when the price paid for you was the king of kings, the creator of the universe? You can be humble, but don't have low self-esteem. God placed a very, very high value on you when He gave Jesus to be your Savior. The whole universe of God has been affected by the lies of Satan. Sympathy for Satan and his cause against the government of God has permeated everywhere and everyone. To cleanse his universe of Satan and sin... God must first remove sympathy for Satan from the hearts of how many? Now, we're not talking about just this little world we call earth. We're talking about the cosmos. In heaven are angels. And these angels have fallen. And they have repented and come back to God. Because he said, how many did he have? Nearly half. How many did he end up with? A third? third? What's the difference between a third and a half? Those came back. Those repented. Do those need a Savior? Absolutely they need a Savior. There are three groups of beings for God to address. The angels of heaven and the unfallen beings of the universe. I told you a moment ago that they, everyone was affected by the lives of Satan. And the universe had sympathy for Satan. Next we have the redeemed saints. Down at the bottom, so low you couldn't see it said the unrepentant sinners. So, the cross of Christ is the one great weapon of God that Satan didn't see coming. He did not see the effect that the crucifying Jesus was going to have on the whole universe. The death of Christ upon the cross made sure the destruction of him who has the power of death and who was the originator of sin. It did what now? The cross did what? Made sure of the destruction of him. Now, God cannot destroy Satan and he cannot destroy sin until he has removed all sympathy for sin and Satan in the universe. So he can't do that until that is finished. That's his problem. So when Satan is destroyed, there will be none to tempt to evil, the atonement will never need to be repeated and there will be no danger of another rebellion in the universe of God. The angels ascribe honor and glory to Christ, for even they are not secure except by looking to the sufferings of the Son of God. Is that a new thought for you? The angels right now in heaven are not secure except by looking to the cross of Christ. It is through the efficacy of the cross that the angels of heaven are guarded from apostasy. So the angels of heaven could turn around and sin. They are not secure except by looking to Jesus. Without the cross they would be no more secure against evil than were the angels before the fall of Satan. So here you have a problem that God is dealing with. Angelic perfection failed in heaven. Human perfection failed in Eden. The paradise of bliss. All who wish for security in earth or heaven must look to the Lamb of God. All of us. For God so loved the universe. The plan of salvation making manifest the justice and love of God provides an eternal safeguard. Against defection in the unfallen worlds. As well as among those who shall be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so the unfallen worlds, the angels of heaven, both are secure only by looking at whom? At Jesus. And they look to him as a savior. For God so loved the universe that he gave his son. For the whole universe he gave his son. And the whole universe was open for Satan to work his lies. Without the cross, man could have no connection with the Father. On it hangs our very hope. When the sinner reaches the cross and looks up to the one who died to save him, he may rejoice with fullness of joy for his sins are still there. Oh, they're pardoned. Oh, you know what? I'm going to step down here just for a second. At the last church where I was, we had a retired pastor. And this retired pastor was the most inspiring man that I, I, I had known, I think. Because every Sabbath, as he sat there, when anything struck his heart and mind, about what Jesus love for him means. He would just quietly say, Thank you, Jesus. And and through the sermon you would hear him saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And sometimes he gets so excited he'd say, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Retired pastor. He was, he was just, he just lit up the, anybody speaking in the church. And he died. And after he died, the church was quiet. It almost seemed like a life went out of the church. And so one Sabbath I got up and I said, I need help. And the congregation looked and said, What what kind of help do you need, Pastor? And I said, I need someone. Someone. To take this man's place. And so one man stood up and said. I'll take his place pastor. And ever after that. Come Sabbath morning. You can hear him out there. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. He got so excited about that. He thought that's the best job he'd ever had. <laughs> Spend each day. Thanking Jesus. We may rejoice with fullness of joy because our sins are pardoned. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Isn't that fabulous? Just think about it. We got our our latest uh, um, Vibrant Life or Vibrant Health uh, magazine. And it's all through there. It's on thankfulness. And the medical benefits of thankfulness. What it does to you. How it affects you. What goes on when you're thankful to God. When you're grateful what he's done for you. And how it changes lives. And it made, re- made me remember, this must have been 1959 or 60, somewhere back in that era. I got a hold of an old um, youth instructor. I don't know what they call them now, uh, but Youth Instructor. Now, that was a real missionary magazine for a young person. And in there was a story from Loma Linda University. And the story told about an experiment that a doctor did. And the experiment was he wanted to know the effect of, of thankfulness and gratitude to God upon the psyche of people when they were dying. He wanted to know what effect did that have. And so he he did a research and connected people with their permission to a meter. And this was some type of an electrical or or something meter. I think it was electrical. And and this meter that he connected them to, if they were praising God, it would go to a plus side. And if they were not praising God, it would go to a negative side, like like electricity was coming out instead of going in. And he did this on over 500 patients. And and then he printed his report. And I'm reading his report. And he tells about this particular man in there who was just a hardened man. And just hated God with all of his heart. And, And he volunteered to be one of the subjects. And as he was dying, he was cursing God. And the needle just went from a positive side, just being alive... It went all the way over to the negative 500 pake and was bouncing on it as this man died. And then there was a woman he tells about in, in this article, and he says, this woman loved Jesus with all of her heart. She was so thankful for every It sounded like Mary Magdalene, Just so thankful for everything God had done for her. And when she was dying, he said that needle went up, 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 and it went all the way over to 500. And it started bouncing on 500. Bouncing, he said, it was hard. It was hitting it. And electricity was flowing into her and joy was going out of her as God removed her life force and she went to rest in Jesus. What a fantastic example of what being grateful for God to do in your life, just being grateful for it and asking him and thanking him all the time. So you people, you're going to practice and help me, aren't you? I'm only going to be here for five months, okay, unless, unless you do something to me before then. But the, how, how, how many volunteers I have, because some people might be here one week, One. how many volunteers do I have that would say, thank you, Jesus, when it just really struck you? Now, now this, this means you don't just you know, thank you, Jesus. You know, you say it out so the people next to you know, I love Jesus. He's my Savior. Okay, so we have about four people now. (laughs) I'm warning you, it's contagious. It really is. It is real contagious. When you start hearing somebody next to you saying, thank you, Jesus, and you start thinking about what he's done for you, you're going to start saying it too. So, our sins are pardoned, we have joy in our lives. Kneeling at the cross, the sinner has reached the highest place which man can attain. How many of you want to go to the cross? Amen. We go to the cross, we go down and we say, Jesus saved me. And that's the highest place that man can attain on this earth. And in the air, what do they call it? Ever, ever after, what place have you attained? A share in his glory and what? Well, where were you two weeks ago? A seat upon his throne. Page 484, great controversy. You should take your great controversy and mark that so that you can look at it all the time. That is yours from Jesus to you. That gift, a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. That's a lot better, but I'll tell you what. We'll all through the eternal ages sing at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Won't that be a song? At the cross. So all this I just got to read to you is found there. Anybody that's writing it down. Bible Commentary, Volume 7a. It's uh, <coughs> Volume 5, the book 7a has a whole lot of sections in it, but it's, so it's, it's uh, Volume 5, page 1132 and 1133. You have that? If you don't, you see me afterwards. As God provided the angels and unfallen beings, has He provided them an opportunity to remove their sympathy from Satan? You think so? We can read about it. In carrying out his enmity against Christ until he hung upon the cross of Calvary with a wounded bruised body and a broken heart, Satan completely uprooted himself from the affections of the universe. Thank you, you, Jesus. Isn't that fabulous? Now, see, the universe, God's on trial. He agreed to go on trial. And he's on trial, and Satan is is the the main accuser, isn't he? The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. And he's the main accuser, and he's on trial. And so he has all these sympathizing angels that have never fallen, but they're sympathizing for him. They think he might have a case. And out there, the unfallen atoms of all the other universes, all through there, They're sympathizing with him. And God's standing over here all by himself, just the the Godhead. And everybody out in the universe is sympathizing with Satan. Does God have a problem? Yeah. And so, but at the cross, the universe was set free. No longer did they have any sympathy for Satan and sin. They they could see now where he was heading and what his whole object was. So that was removed. Has God provided the redeemed saints an opportunity to remove their sympathy from Satan? Has he? Absolutely he has. We call that probation. Don't we? We have this whole time of probation in which to remove our sympathy from Satan. So as, as through our lifetime, the Holy Spirit working in our heart is removing our sympathy for sin and Satan. Now you and I are born in sin, and we're selfish. What is sin? Selfishness. And we're selfish. Selfish. So we have a problem here, don't we? And it takes us a lifetime to deal with this problem. As the head of God's redeemed saints on earth, Jesus has humanly removed all sympathy for Satan from the born-again sinner's life. He has removed from your life all sympathy for Satan. But you and I have to make a decision and choose whether we're going to accept that. If any man be in Christ, he's just worked over a wreck. Or is he really a new creature? Or or, does this really mean what it says? If he's in Christ, he's a new creature. What's passed away? Your sympathy for Satan. Your your love of sin, your love of selfishness. It's gone where? It's passed away. Behold, everything is what? New. In the book of Ezekiel, he says what? He says, a new heart will I give you. A new mind will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And whose heart, mind, and spirit does he put in you? He says, I put my heart in you. I put my spirit in you. I put my mind in you. And in the book, Desire of Ages, it says that we will even think the thoughts of Jesus when we surrender. He, Jesus, because he went all the way through without sin, resisted Satan totally, is able to pass that on to everybody. Adam passed on sin to all of us. Jesus passes on salvation to all of us. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The 144,000 redeemed saints are the proof that through the cross of Christ, man can be cleansed of all sympathy for sin or Satan. And how do you know that is true? Because in the book Great Controversy, we are told that the 144,000 go through the time of trouble without a mediator. They have no protection. They go through without a mediator. Jesus is the mediator. And Jesus stands back and lets them go through. Satan tries everything he can to get them to sin. He tries to bring up your worst thoughts in your mind. All the sins you've ever committed. He says you didn't confess this one and you didn't confess that one. And you're going to be lost. And he tries to bring all that up in the face of the 144,000. But they follow the Lamb. They have surrendered 100%. And they are our token to the universe. That sin can be removed out of sinful human beings. And it is, thank you, Jesus. Sin can be removed out of you. A hundred percent. Will God provide the unrepentant sinners opportunity to remove their sympathy from Satan before they're destroyed in the lake of fire? We know God is, is working in us. How many of you know God is working in you? Yeah, I know He's working in me. You can just ask my wife. She says it gets worse every day. So, unrepentant sinners, the wicked of the world, that will eventually be lost. God is giving them an opportunity, and he's going to give it to them in a very large way. When the holy city comes down to earth after the millennium, God gives the wicked an opportunity to hear and see the truth about the lies of Satan. Unfortunately, it is what? Too late. late. But nevertheless, he has given them a lifetime like he has given all of us a lifetime. They could have been in church right along with you. The wicked are resurrected, and under the urging of Satan, they surround the city of God, preparing to take it by force, when suddenly, above the throne of Christ, is seen a great panorama, "...which shows them the fall of Satan and the beginning of sin in this world. All are convicted of their sins, and all see who caused them." So, Christ's coronation, the holy city comes down, He touches the Mount of Olives, and it becomes a great plain, 375 miles on a side, and the holy city settles down into that place, the wicked are all raised back to life again. Satan looks around and sees the billions of people around him. He sees the, the Genghis Khan and all the Hitler and every one of the great generals of any time and all the great sinners. And he says, we can take the city and we can overcome God. And he marshals them all together. And then as they start towards the city, suddenly, Above the throne of Christ, which is high and lifted up, above the city even. How tall is the city? It's a cube, isn't it? If it's 375 miles on a, high, on a side, it must be 375 miles high. And the throne of Christ is higher than that. And who gets to sit on the throne? Sinners. Saved by the grace of Christ. And so they surround the city and they start toward the city. And suddenly, while they're rushing towards the city, a great panorama, maybe displayed by the angels. Maybe God just takes time and brings it all back. And we see exactly what goes on. And the cross of Christ is there. And you see him being crucified. We see his whole life, we see the whole plan of salvation. And when all the wicked see that, they know that they've been duped. That they have made the wrong decision. And the people that they were persecuting all the time are the ones that are sitting up on the throne with Jesus. Now what happens? Then the plan of salvation is openly displayed for everyone sees their rejection of God's gracious gift of eternal life through Christ. The life and death of Christ is shown in the cross of Calvary as a central theme. They see too late that they have believed a lie and they are not saved. And what do you suppose they do about it? They say, Hallelujah, I'm so glad we followed Satan. No, I didn't think so every question of truth and error in the long-standing controversy is made plain. God's justice stands fully vindicated before the whole world is clearly presented, the great sacrifice made by the Father and Son in man's behalf. Notwithstanding, Satan has been constrained to acknowledge God's justice. So even Satan has to bow to the knee. And the Bible says that how many knees shall bow? every knee. And you and I, are we going to bow? Yeah. Absolutely we're going to bow. We're going to bow with joy in our hearts and excitement in our life. We're going to look up to Jesus and we're going to say something so simple. We're just going to say, thank you, Jesus. We are. And then we're going to see the wicked out there in, in, in their lost condition. And they're going to bow the knee because they know that they have been fooled by the lies of Satan. And then Satan himself bows the knee to Jesus. The thing he vowed he would never do. The spirit of rebellion like a mighty torrent against, bursts forth, filled with frenzy. He determines not to yield a great controversy. Now he's already, he's got all of his generals, he has all these wicked people. Now they're going to rush the city. And they're going to take the city. But what happens? The time has come for the last desperate struggle against the king of heaven. He, Satan, rushes into the midst of his subjects and endeavors to inspire them with his own fury and arouse them to instant battle. But of all the countless millions whom he has allured into rebellion, there is how many? None to follow him now. None will acknowledge his supremacy. His power is at an end. Yes, yeah, isn't it? That's a good time to say thank you, Jesus. Oh, I tell you. The wicked are filled with the same hatred of God that inspires Satan, but they see that their case is hopeless. They cannot prevail against Jehovah. Their rage is kindled against whom? Satan. And against those who have been his agents in deception, the fallen angels. The ministers of our worldly churches who are leading people by the millions down the path to ruin. With a fury of demons they turn upon them. And there follows a scene of universal strife. Did Satan ever in his wildest dreams think that everybody was going to turn on him? But they do. The wicked receive their recompense in the earth and all are punished according to their deeds. In the cleansing flames, the wicked are at last destroyed. Root and branch, Satan the root, his followers the branch. The justice of God is satisfied, and the saints and all the angelic hosts say with a loud voice Amen. That wasn't a loud voice. They say with a loud voice Amen. Amen. Oh, everything's in a new, new earth, new heavens, new everything. And we're going to enjoy it for all eternity. Are you part of God's problem? Or are you part of God's solution? You know what's holding us all up? The unfallen beings and the angel of heaven have already made their decision. But down here on this earth, we haven't finished making a decision. And God's people are holding all this up. Jesus says he'll come when his image is perfectly reproduced in his people. He'll come. And in the book of Revelation, which was written what? A couple of years ago? How long ago was the book of Revelation written? 2,000 years ago. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says what? Behold, I come quickly. Did He want to wait? He wants all of us to have the opportunity to see our part in the solution to the problem of God in the whole universe. He wants every one of us to be saved. Not a single person to be lost. He says about our children, you know, those of you that are parents, raise your hand. He says about our children, He says, I will contend with him that contends with you, and I will save your children. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Because you and I have made a mess out of trying to save our children, haven't we? But God says, I'll save them. What a promise for us as parents. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus loves you. So do I. So what are you going to do? Are you going to continue on from day to day just living life as it is? Or now that you know that you're part of the solution to God's problem and that you can have an active part. There every single one of us in this church has a talent. The first talent you have is a smile. That's the first talent you have, is a smile. One day I was riding down the road, minding my own business. Impatient is all get out. And a lady pulled out from side street right in front of me and I almost hit her. And I pulled around the car and I slowed down and I looked back. And as she came up alongside me, I was just full of all the kind of stuff that goes through men when this kind of thing happens. And I looked over at her, and she looked over at me, and she said, Sorry. All of a sudden, I was only that tall. I couldn't even reach the pedals. A smile. Simple smile. And then I said, God, I mean, that's one of your saints over there. I don't know who's driving this car. A simple smile. That's the first talent every single one of you have. This next week, how many of you would exercise that one talent for Jesus? Just that one talent. Smile at somebody. Smile at somebody. It'll change their whole day. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, Teach us to trust you again. Teach us to have faith in you. God, now that we know your problem, how you want to save the whole universe, not just this world, but Jesus was given for the whole universe. And now that you know, we know that, God, we want to be part of that solution. We want to do your will and be your people. But we can't do it on our own. But we can accept that new heart, that new mind, and that new spirit inside of each one of us. Dear God, I pray that every person here this morning will say to Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And will accept the gifts that he has for them so that they can live a new life And no longer live in fear, but live in joy. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.